This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. I have a special guest here and I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best on the name, right? Because there's a there's a U.S. version and there's a European version. So Roger William Jorgensen, Roger, did I say it right? You sure did. I did. So that's <laughs> that's the European way, the the American yeah, way. Yeah, that, that's that I was what saying. I'm feeling fancy. Yep. The, the, the American <laughs> way is Jorgensen. So Jorgensen is the European way. Roger is WTA's European expert consultant here. So we've got Roger on. We're going to talk any and everything about Europe. I've actually got, um, man, quite a few trips coming up to different spots of different spots of Europe that I've wanted to go for a long time. And, and having Roger on the team, um, answered all my questions, getting me in the right areas and so forth. This fall, Dad and I are off to Croatia in October, which we're looking forward to. Um, next year, we're going to Finland and working on a few other ones to get different spots in Europe that, that are unique and, and all special in their own way. So how are you doing today, Roger? Pretty good. Pretty good. So where, where are you? Where, it's not too bad. Where are you at today? I guess that's the first question. So I'm based in uh, in Austria, in the south of Austria, near the the border with Italy and Slovenia. So okay, so pretty centrally located over here in Europe. There worst worse spots to be than that, I guess. Oh yeah, definitely. So, so did, <laughs> I know you. I know you spend time in Alaska, right? So did you grow up in Europe, and then kind of walk walk us through the, I guess where where you live part of the year, and and how you bounce back and forth. Well, so I was born and raised in Alaska. Um, a military family. Both my my uh, folks were were officers in the army. Um, they were in the guard for quite a bit, so I was quite lucky to stay in Alaska for the most part. Uh, with the exceptions of of, of two years, uh, we were in Virginia, and then two years we were in Germany. Um, and you could say that maybe those two years in Germany had a big role in in you know kind of my career trajectory of getting getting stuck over here in Europe. I I like to say. Um, but like you said, there's, there's worse places to be. So, so how many, uh, what languages do you speak? I guess, um, English and German. Okay. English uh, and German. And the I, German is what they speak in Austria. Yep. Yeah. It's a, it's quite the, quite the accent dialect. Um, I almost had to relearn it. Um, but, but now, uh, yeah, now I speak the kind of, Austrian dialect of, of uh, German, and I think you can compare it maybe to Louisiana, but, <laughs> but as south as Louisiana as it gets, and then talk to somebody from, uh, yeah, maybe New York, uh, that kind of difference. But but we speak about Germany as the size of Montana, and, and Austria is the size of Maine, and, and uh, people in television programs in Germany that, you know, that have Austrian or Swiss... Uh, TV shows, the the undertitles are all with uh, 
yeah, they have to give other titles, even though it's the same language, just <laughs> because of how difficult the <laughs> the the dialect is. So oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, English English and German. My English is much better than my German, but uh, I survive with it. So obviously, growing up in Alaska, that's probably that that's probably where you got into hunting, correct? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. With my dad, I think that's kind of the normal normal thing is is you you go out with your dad um we when i lived in when we lived in germany i was six years old so i hadn't done too much hunting in in alaska i was around it you know helping skin and bears and Mm -hmm. things like that but i was around it but it was really when we were in germany that i kind of got introduced to the hunting traditions Uh, um we would go and build high stands which is kind of the the high seat um over here in in europe um my dad had his German hunting license, um, and and that's kind of where I got, yeah, got into the the tradition of it, and and those are the things that I really enjoy. Uh, but yeah, once we were back in Alaska, uh, grouse hunting, black bear hunting, you know, going up to the the bait stand after after school and and staying overnight, and then headed to school in the morning and falling asleep in class type thing um, was we had a lot of the, the outdoors, which was a well, quite a blessing. So, oh, that's awesome. So, how many years did you live in Germany when you were younger? Only, only two years. Okay. Um, and and it was around around kindergarten time. Um, so it it really didn't leave. The biggest impression was that that hunting and and traveling, uh, and and it, yeah, it left a big big impact because it would you know it would go on to kind of guide what I did with the rest of my life once I got older. So. I, I don't think of myself as a Europhile. Uh, I'm quite critical of some things in Europe, but I live here, so I, I got to behave myself. <laughs> All, right. All right. So let's walk, let's walk through the early ages then. So um, Austria, back to Alaska. Um, did, what was your schooling through? Um, I, I went back to Alaska, and that started kindergarten there. Um, my, my brother was the firstborn, I'm the second born. Um, and my parents kind of made sure that he was the, the whippersnapper and knew everything when he got to school. And, and, uh, he, he was a little bit of a problem child because of it. So when I came along, I went to the kindergarten interview and I didn't know how to count. I didn't really know my colors. Uh, I didn't know the alphabet. And so I started from scratch and I was kind of in awe whenever I learned something. And okay. so that, <laughs> <laughs> that was the difference between my, my brother and I, but, but we, uh, you know, I, I went to school all through, through there. By the time I was, um, uh, 14, I started to go on some, uh, European ex- or German exchange programs. Um, and that's when I kind of got back into the German language was with 14 till 18. Um, yeah, it was not, not the normal, normal thing, you know, normal language to, to seek out, but kind of a little bit my family history uh it was it was something i wanted to do so after you after you finished um regular school what did you go right into the outdoor industry or what what was the gap before you actually got back into the outdoor industry well so that being it kind of started you could maybe say back um uh, when we were back in alaska i mean from at eight years old is is when uh, my dad went the first time to south africa he had uh, at the Alaska Safari Club, uh, they had an auction, and on Friday night they would have a military night. And he got invited to that, and he ended up buying the South African Safari on, on auction, and went there the first time. Took my brother and, and his dad, uh, and they had a you know great time. Saw the photos, kind of fell in love with it, and became very interested in what this Safari Club was all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from eight till uh, eight till eighteen, I was very involved with the Alaska chapter. Um, I would always do the, the membership booth, things like that. Um, I was a youth director and then eventually I was on the board, um, from I think 16 to 18. Uh, and that, that was really, yeah, I, I learned a lot there. You know, we, we worked in hunting conservation programs. That's quite a famous, you know, chapter, both for the size and what they do for hunting. So it was quite an honor to, to work with those guys. Um, and, that's really when I fell in love with, yeah, that the international hunting and, and what it could be for me, um, and, and trying to share that with other people. Um, it, 
it worked out that uh, when I was 18, I'd gone off to college and I kind of thought, oh, that was good. But now I got to be a grown up and and I wanted to pursue sports and whatnot. But I got a call in January that I'd won this uh, the Cabela's International Young Hunter Award. Uh-huh. Um, and that was kind of kicked me back into gear a little bit that that had always been my dream to win that. Uh, I win or earn it or whatever right. it was, but, uh, I, I got invited to Vegas, gave a speech there in front of everybody. And, and, uh, I took that opportunity to try and find a summer job. Um, so that was after my freshman year at college, I went and looked for uh, like a, uh, apprenticeship, you call it. Yep. Um, and that's how I ended up in Europe the first time in the hunting, you know, outdoor industry capacity. Uh, work went and, and asked a, an outfitter that that was based in Austria. I you know said, "Hey, I speak a little bit of German." I didn't say that in German, of course, because I wasn't quite there. Uh-huh. Uh, but but a few emails later, uh, I showed up at uh, showed up at their train station down here in in the south of Austria, and that was kind of the the start of it. From there, I was kind of kind of hooked and 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 knew I was headed that way some some years it didn't seem like that but i always kept kept plugging away with it and and uh yeah that was that that was my guiding thing was was europe hunting german and it all kind of worked together i didn't i didn't know you know when you're 18 leaving high school you don't know how it's going to work yeah um i i wanted to do something like that i went to university and your freshman year is kind of a joke but i i was technically going for German and, and wildlife conservation. Um, and yeah, it all worked, worked out. <laughs> well, that's great. So I, I mean, but if you look at what you do now, right, like you didn't know it at the time, but it was shaping you for what you're doing exactly right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. And I definitely, I was, I was on a boardwalk and luckily I, I, there was no turning around, but luckily it's all, it's all worked out. But yeah, everything I had done and, and all the experiences and all the volunteering and whatnot, it all, it all worked out in my favor. And, uh, yeah, I can maybe say on the podcast, there you go. My parents, mom and dad, I, I told you I could do it. <laughs> now, I guess when you say that, were they rooting for you all along or were they trying to get you to do something else? Oh yeah. No, they, they were rooting all along. They, uh, sometimes they wondered what the heck I was doing. You know, when you say, Hey mom, I'm going to Africa for a few months. Um, I'll, I'll be back type thing. <laughs> um, and live it over here on the other side of the world. You know, since I was 18, I kind of left and came over here and I go back for the hunting shows and, and see my family, you know, once a year, twice a year. Uh, now that I have a family of my own, it's, it's been more so, uh, which has been nice. Um, but yeah, for, for eight years there, I kind of, <laughs> was was wanting to make it in the outdoor industry and and yeah I, I feel that I've I've done it so it's just a matter of sticking with it and and keep sharing that that passion for the European hunting um, and the Alaska hunting and, and stuff like that for you know for for some of our our hunters so yeah no that's on my on on my podcast I I usually like to touch on how people get in the hunting industry because it's probably the number one question I get on social media right like everybody yeah everybody that follows me wants like they ultimately wish that they were in the hunting industry so I get asked hundreds of times a week hey, this is what I do what do you think about this how how did you get it how do you, what yeah. are the ways I can do it so just the more stories like yours right like it's an yeah. odd story of a of a kid that really wanted to to do it and just worked his butt off for eight years, just kind yeah. of going to get it. And then all of a sudden he's, he's in a spot like you're in right now, which is, which is pretty yeah. sweet for no, anybody was, that's listening. It's, it's definitely a blessing. It's, and I love helping out younger guys. I get a lot of, uh, I send a lot of people around the world to help out, you know, to do what I did. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the most glamorous thing, but it is, it is what we love to do. So it's, it's quite a blessing The the funny one is, so I, we were in, uh, at, when I was 18, we, we took, uh, we were in South Africa and I think it was as we were getting on the plane, my dad said, I hope you had fun. Cause the next time you're paying for it. <laughs> and that, that was kind of my, I always joke, you know, when I, when I was, had doubts about what I was doing, things like that, I always went back to that moment and that was kind of, well, I got to pay for it and I'm, I'm in the hunting industry. So 
if I've, I've already gone too far, now I got to really work my butt off and, and, you know, make some nice, nice connection. Yep. The alternative to that is to get a grown up job and then to go hunting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, uh, it, that was my two options was to go, you know, go make a, a bunch of money so I could afford to bring my dad somewhere. And, and now, you know, I can invite him on, on trips and, and things like that. And, and that's been really neat. He's not really taken me up on it yet, but hopefully here in the next few years, um, we'll, we'll get some more trips, trips together. So are your parents retired out of service or are they still in service now? Yeah, they're both, they're both retired. Okay. Um, they, they split time between, uh, Alabama. We've got a, a few hundred acres down there, a deer farm. They've got fallow deer and red stag and whitetail. And then our, our place in Alaska, um, which usually every, every two years we can get a, a 55 inch moose from the porch type thing. So that's pretty sweet. It's, uh, they, they enjoy it. And, and for those reasons, it's kind of tough to pull them away. Um, but they, yeah, they enjoy it. My dad still actively hunts and assistant guides and things like that. So it was a military family, but, but more and more it's, it's a hunting family. It's, it's transitioning. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's great. All right. Well, now let's dig into Europe, right? There's so many countries in Europe. We'll, we're going to try to try to hit on as many as we can today and some of the unique species and so forth. But before, before we dig into any of that, the thing that's always blown me away from all the trips that I've done into Europe is, is the culture and the tradition around hunting in Europe. Let's just, just talk on that. I mean, you've, you live there now. How, how would you explain the history and culture behind hunting there? I guess, from living yeah. there in your, in your own words. Like I try to put a spin on it from like when I go there, but again, I've only gone there for 10 days here, eight days there, four days here, and you get to see all the countries, but it's just that, that rich history of hunting that's over there is so tough for me to explain. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it is the birthplace of, of hunting as we know it, not only trophy hunting, but you know, and, and management as well. Um, every, every square foot of, of Europe is categorized some, you know, in some way as a hunting area. Um, obviously towns and cities, there's no hunting, but there's still a hunter who's responsible for, for problem animals, things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's very unique. And, and folks who have been to Europe, not even for hunting, but just if you've been on the highway or on a train, uh, you, you'll notice every field has got a high stand in it. Uh, and they don't just show up, you know, it takes somebody's time and dedication to, to do that. So, it is a big, it is a big cultural thing. I mean, the traditions, uh, there's a few just, you know, to mention there's uh, the most visual one maybe is, is the last bite, uh, mm -hmm. that kind of the grass or the, the pine tree in, in the mouth after, after a successful harvest. Um, that's probably one of the most visible ones. Um, uh, you know, and for example, in Germany and Austria, we have, uh, we have, uh, an entire hunting language. So for example, up yeah, the, 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 the verbs and things like that, the nouns, there's a whole language, um, based on what, what species it is. Um, and that's kind of a unique thing. And in many places in Europe that, that it really is the last vestige of, of, of culture, um, and tradition is the hunting, um, that, that you see guys out in public in kind of the traditional garb and whatnot. The other one is is musical instruments. That's another one where they kind of uh, hold on to their old culture. But but hunting is certainly a place where the culture is still there, the traditions are still there. Um, and I mean, in Europe, we have it's over seven million active hunters. Um, and and a little bit the difference between Europe and and the U.S. is that it's much much more difficult to hunt or be a hunter in, in Europe. And so they take a pride in it. Um, you know, once you get your hunting license which is, I actually, I actually just, uh, have been in the course last week, the last two weeks. And yeah, my, <laughs> my university studies, uh, don't come anywhere close to the, the in-depth, uh, you know, nature of, of what it takes to be a hunter, the, the course, the, uh, uh, yeah, the course materials, uh, it, it really is when you go through it, you have to be a hunter and you're really active and very proud of what you've done. Cause it's not easy, um, you know, to be a part, part of the community. 
Well, I noticed, so dad and I, obviously we hunted, um, in Austria and Hungary last year. Um, and Alpine Ibex hunting to where the area is at, it's, it's open to the public. Um, and one thing for anybody listening, the areas that are open for the public, I, they're just the hiking areas, right? They're used a lot more in Europe than I would say that they're used in the U.S. So when there's a there's a hiking trail and so forth there, you're always going to see people on it, right? Like, I, and you just mentioned while we were talking before before we started recording here, like you went hiking this morning, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just it's part of that European <laughs> culture of getting outdoors and, and active and hiking. So we're hunting along the same area that that people are are hiking, right? In the U.S., people that are listening right now, like that's a recipe for disaster. Once, if you start putting hunters with the with the hikers on the trail, because you instantly can tell that they're probably going to clash, right? Two different types of people. And when we hunted yeah. Austria, it was not that way, right? Everybody that was hiking was so open, so so happy to see us out there, asking like good questions, and then letting us know, like, hey, yeah, we saw ibex around the corner over here, <laughs> and like it was it was it was like. I just remember the first hikers coming down the trail. I looked over at dad and I said, oh no, this is going to be interesting. And they were literally like, oh, you guys are Ibex hunting? Absolutely. We just saw some over here and there's some over there. And just, I mean, it was like a 25 minute conversation of how excited that they were that we were hunting and his dad used to hunt and he wishes he could, but he never got into it. And, and then he complained about obviously the hunting license system and like all, all that. But it was, it was so refreshing. I guess is the correct way to say that they were so open to hunting and it's all that tradition, right? So then you'd go back into town and you'd go to, um, one of the small pubs or whatever and grab something to eat. And it was the same way. People could tell that you're hunting and they would ask you questions of how genuinely, how did you do today? Do you like our country? Yeah. Do you, we, we love the fact that you're here hunting. It's just, and you go into that pub and there's red stag antlers on the wall, right? There's mouflon horns over here and, and it just, hunting it's all part of the town it's not just segregated like it is in the u.s i would say that's the yeah. that's the difference now don't get me wrong like i'm sure if you're downtown paris it's not going to fly like that but a lot <laughs> of the countrysides and so forth along in europe was were definitely more open than what i was planning on them to be oh yeah yeah no there's there's kind of the the city city folks and then outside of the city folks i mean they they understand the important role that that the hunters play um, and, and really it's all this, these, you know, forestry farmers and hunters, it's kind of the three that they, they own the areas, they look for the areas. I mean, the only reason Europe and, you know, in particular Austria, some of these other countries are, you know, so, so fantastic is because, uh, the people are really looking for it. You know, that's the private ownership of the land, which, you know, which really makes you look out for it. Um, you know, that's one of the biggest differences from the, from the States and that I, I tell a lot of people, cause we have a lot of folks that, you know, after maybe the draw didn't work out or, or this mm -hmm. or that, well, have you tried, have you looked at Europe? Um, and that's one of the, the biggest benefits is, you know, you can come over here and hunt in areas as big that you were going to hunt in, in the States. Um, and you're not going to run into any other hunters, um, because the hunting license, the hunting, uh, areas are, are large contiguous and that the landowners don't have the ability to close off it to hunting. Um, they, they join their land and they lease out the hunting rights. Or if, if there's a private one private owner, then they would have their own hunting area mm -hmm. type thing. So it's the difference. Those differences make, yeah, that's really the biggest, the biggest difference is, is how the, the land is owned. Um, and you see it here in, in Europe. They know that they that they need the hunters. One of the one of the unique things too of when I talk to people about hunting in Europe um, that often gets overlooked is truthfully how easy it is to get there. Especially if you live on the East Coast, right? It's like a six or eight hour flight um, to whatever country you want to hunt. Like a lot of the times, it takes you longer to get somewhere out west if you're on the East Coast in the U.S. to go hunt over there than it does into Europe. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's one of the big conveniences. I mean, we, we were just back home, my wife and the baby and I, we were back home in Alaska uh, a few weeks ago and it was a, uh, it was a nine hour flight directly over the pole from Frankfurt to, to Anchorage. Um, and that, that East coast flight is a, 
is a very easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, you know, you can, you can fly over here and, and you won't just be hunting as well as, is another one of the, the benefits, but that, uh, yeah, that, that East coast flight is very easy. I mean, um, there's any, any major airport here, I can get you set up on a very nice hunt, you know, within an hour, mm-hmm. 30 minutes to an hour drive. Um, and you mentioned and, a, and a key part proper wilderness. and you mentioned a key part with that also is you can go with your family. Right. It's a great spot. Like if you wanted to go and well, truthfully, I'm going to list some countries off here, but you can literally list any of them. If you wanted to go to Croatia, Spain, France, um, I mean, just any of those that you want to go to, you can go and hunt for three days or four days or five days. And, and you can also set up sightseeing stuff with your family. Or if your wife wants to stay in a major city and shop for two days while you go on a hunt. Right. Like that's all easy stuff to arrange for couples that want to travel or if there's a father, son's um, father, daughter, or, or any of the mother, son, any, I guess any of those relationships that want to go and, and go off early and then have family meet them after. Like that's very common when you go and hunt in Europe to do trips like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, that family trip or, or guys trips is, is a big one as well. Um, but that, that ability to, to combine the, the sightseeing is, is easy. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, so- the, the it's I always I always joke that this to have a group of guys come over here and hunt is is really it's really awesome. Um, it's like deer camp, but everybody gets something. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I just said that to to a gentleman yesterday on uh, talk with him about a trip to Slovakia. It'll be like deer camp, but everybody will get something. Um, so you'll have to you'll have to bust each other's chops on, on different things because you'll all have a nice one. <laughs> yep, that is very, very true. So one of the, again, one of the the misconceptions, and it's not for every country, right, is that you hear that it's hard to get firearms into Europe. Um, and truthfully, yeah. there obviously there are a couple countries, I'll let you list off which ones are the tough ones, but the majority of the countries are super easy to get it into. Like, you don't even need a firearm permit when you, when you get there. You, to get there, you just get it when you arrive. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's quite easy. Um, you know, you have to have your paperwork in order mm-hmm. that whether or not they check it when you get here or not, that's another story, but yeah, yeah. you have to have your stuff in order to, to leave the States. Um, for example, I mean, Austria is, is extremely easy. Um, you go in and grab your gun next to the oversized, you know, maybe somebody skis, you grab your gun, they might check you, they might not, but you have all your paperwork and, and you, you head out from there. Um, it, yeah, it is, it is very easy. Uh, that's leaving the states that that uh that sometimes there's more problems than than even within europe and the other side of that is that you know to use the rental gun in in europe is all the rental guns i've ever used here or or had with clients well hell they were nicer than than any gun that i grew up with mm-hmm. yep. Yep. <laughs> you know you've got you've got mauser steyer blazer uh leica optics swarovski optics leopold as well even as big here um, it, it really, it can be high end and stuff. And, and if you're combining it with sightseeing, then that's the way to go. You know, don't, you're not going to want to carry your gun case through the city. Uh, if you're in and out for hunting, yep. then I, I can recommend that you bring your own firearm. Um, but that combination with, with sightseeing, or even if you just don't want the hassle in the States, um, uh, the rental guns are, are as well, a, a very good option. That's very true. Um, you, I've had, I've probably had 10 guys go home and buy the gun that they used, uh, <laughs> which is, which is, uh, yeah, that's kind of a unique thing. It is unique to Europe, certainly. For sure. So let's start, let's start breaking down some of the hunts that are, that are there. What are the most known countries for hunting in Europe? So you'd have to, you'd have to say Spain and, and Scotland. Uh, these are kind of the, the most well-known ones. Uh, Hungary as well is, is very, very popular, certainly in the last 10 years. I mean, I'm, I'm only 28, so I, I can't speak for forever. Uh, I know quite a bit of the, the history of, you know, shows and who was where and who promoted where, and, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, this are some of the newer trends is what I've seen. But, but even when I've, when I started 10 years ago, there was also, you know, some, some different patterns of, of what people were doing but but spain and, and scotland are certainly the most uh most well known i know you know spanish outfitters have been in the states 
Dallas Safari Club, Safari Club. They've been supporting those big organizations for, for a very long time, um, even back to the 70s. Um, and, and so they've had a big, big role to play in, you know, conservation over here and, and opening the doors to stateside folks, um, you know, wanting to come experience Europe. I travel all over the world and into some of the most remote places known. And for all of my adventure trip insurance, it is a must that I use Global Rescue to take care of me no matter where I am. When you book a trip with Worldwide Trophy Adventures, be sure to ask about Global Rescue Trip Insurance. They will be there when it matters the most. WTA Tags is a full-service licensing program available to today's sportsmen. Bottom line, they help hunters draw the very best limited-entry big-game tags. They offer professional consultation on where to apply and then properly complete and submit your applications to the states. TAGS has the easiest, most reliable, and most complete service to assist you in drawing that tag of a lifetime. For a free TAGS consultation, call 1-800-755-8247 or visit them online at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash TAGS. That's WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash T-A-G-S. No matter where I'm hunting in the world, I'm always wearing my Mindel boots. I guess you could say that I sort of live in my Mindel hunting boots. And right now at MindelUSA.com, you can use promo code MPJOURNEY to get a free pair of socks when you order up a pair of boots. Again, that's promo code MPJOURNEY at MindelUSA.com. Now back to The Journey Within. Very much so. So what are, um, yeah. as we're sticking on the, the most known or mo- what are gets some of the most popular hunts that, that go in Europe? The, the, in Spain, you've got the, the Ibex, um, you got the four subspecies of Ibex. Um, those you have the, uh, Basetes in the East near Valencia, Barcelona, um, which is a very, you know, very well combined with a, a vacation on, on the coast, the Grados up, up near Madrid, um, is a fantastic one as well. That's for me, that's kind of the, what you think of, um, uh, but they're all very similar, but that Grado's Ibex is, is, I don't know if I get in trouble maybe, but for me, that's the king of the Spanish ones, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if anything, I'll just say it's closest to the capital. So finish, uh, then you've, <laughs> then you've got the South, the Southeastern, uh, and the Ronda. Those are both down in the South. Um, so that, that kind of slam of the four is, is very popular. Um, the, the other thing that's very popular is the red-legged um, partridge. Um, those behind the dogs or, or the bigger drives uh, with the drivers on horses. and watch, it's, it's a very well-organized hunt. Uh, and it's, it's one of those hunts that these wing-shooting groups that travel around South America, England, uh, the States, you know, they, they're always going there to Spain for, for that hunt. Um, Scotland, you've got you've got kind of the, the traditional hunt up in the, in the highlands for, for red stag, uh, which is a fantastic stalking experience. Uh, you know, some of that highland stuff, you'd be mistaken for thinking you were up in, in the tundra in Alaska even. Um, so very beautiful terrain and people are traveling often to England, Scotland for vacation. So that's also, it's a very easy combination. Um, Hungary, you have Hungary is very famous for mouflon and fallow deer. This, you know, very big sizes, big red stag, um, huge forest areas. Um, and then the massive roe deer, um, it's massive roe deer. That's kind of like jumbo shrimp, but the biggest roe deer that there are, are, are over there in the, the east of Hungary and some of the neighboring countries. Um, and those are kind of the main, uh, the main hunts in Hungary. You also have the driven hunts that are very common, um, you know, driven wild boar, um, if you can, if you have enough friends, you can put one of those together. Otherwise, I can, I can get you on a group um, that that has single spots, and that's something that I think every hunter should experience uh, for once. It's a very unique trip. On the driven, on the driven boar hunters, how many hunters are usually in a group when you do it? So there's a few few options. You've got free range areas, which is you know, twenty or ten thousand acres, for example, um, and there you'd imagine, okay, maybe we need uh, twenty to thirty. Um, uh, 30 is, is, is easier to round up. You know, if you're driving from Germany, you're driving over to Hungary. Uh, so those bigger groups and the free range hunts, those are usually for, for local hunters or European hunters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I do, which is very 
very neat is is uh, to do a mixed group in a in a high fenced area, a state area. Uh, you know, that's still two thousand, three thousand densely forested acres. Uh, and instead of thirty people, you're now you're talking about only six to ten. Okay. Um, and and that gives you that gives you the same experience. It's not it's not boring. It's it's very exciting. You have your opportunities. Um, and you have that kind of similar experience, like, uh, if you've ever seen wild boar fever, um, a lot of people have seen that, seen videos from that. That's that experience that you, you get when you join one of those smaller groups. And like I said, there's, it could be one guy or, or it can be a group of three. Uh, we kind of have a mixed group, you know, there, there might be a gentleman from, from Spain there. There'll be a guy from New Zealand. There'll be two guys from Texas. There's always guys in Texas over here <sighs> hunting. Uh, then there'll be there'll be somebody from Washington State, and and then their guide or their assistant is from Alaska. <laughs> so it's 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 quite a unique experience, and and everybody there working and the traditionists are Hungarian, uh, and that's kind of neat. That is awesome. Um, so that was on the most popular list, and I'm obviously I mentioned earlier I'm going to Croatia, right? So I'm looking. Let's talk about some of the the not quite as well-known countries to hunt there, but some of them that have amazing hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, like you said, Croatia is, is, is one of those. I mean, it starts to grow. Uh, people start to know about it a little more, certainly when you combine it with, with the sightseeing, you've got the beautiful coast there. Um, we've got hunting on, on private islands, uh, this big islands off the coast there in the Adriatic, um, you know, for, for a variety of species, the Cree Cree hybrid, um, you've got, you've got feral, feral goats, Dalmatian sheep, mouflon, you start to move inland, you've got, uh, mouflon, fallow deer, chamois, the Balkan chamois is there, uh, red stag, um, brown bear hunting. There's, there's really a lot there. And then out in the east of Croatia, you've got massive red stags, um, in, in huge areas that, you know, herd, herds of red stag, which is a neat thing to see. Another another cool one is uh, Slovakia. I think a lot of people don't don't realize it. They have a hell of a time to find it on a on a map. Um, but when when you do, um, especially if you're on on Google Maps and you're looking at the satellite image, it, it's easy to see why that might be a very good hunting place. It's it's very uh, mixed mixed forests, uh, rolling hills up into the Tatra Mountains. There you have the Tatra chamois uh, mountain red stag that that would rival anything in, out west. Um, and then very big mouflon and fallow deer. Um, and then you're right close to Vienna and Budapest as, as kind of sightseeing options. Um, or you could just forget all about it and get lost hunting for seven days type thing. That sounds bad. Uh, another, another ones that are, that are interesting, um, and, and kind of unique and under the radar is, um, Sweden and Finland. I enjoy those as, as, as opportunities. Um, in Sweden, you have something quite unique is that, um, uh, if you have uh, the hunting license and everything, you can you can even do self guided hunt. Um, and and I have a, a very good cooperation there with a few areas uh, where, yeah, it's a week long trip, self guided. You have uh, orientation on the first day. You've got a electronic uh, map that shows you where the hunting area is and and where recommended good spots are and and you kind of do your own thing with with buddies. It's two or four guys and and you have wild boar roe deer fallow deer um all the sea ducks you can imagine and and wonderful pike fishing that's kind of a unique thing i uh, for me it's even unique in the world um to have that many options at your at your fingertips um and then in, in sweden it's very dense forest you've got the capricale and the black grouse which are are very famous upland birds um over in finland you've got um there's white-tailed deer in finland they were they were brought back uh, by some some immigrants who moved to Minnesota. They brought, they brought, I believe it was thirteen. They brought thirteen to to Finland, and they they had a pretty hard go. But one male and two females survived, and now it's something like a hundred thousand whitetails in Finland, and it's one of the most popular game animals. And they hunt them the same way like we do in the states. Um, but because of that European system, um, where just cause it's in your yard, you have no right to hunt it uh -huh. only if, only if you have the hunting rights, uh, it's, it's 
successful like you're in South Africa. So it's, it's kind right. of a, a neat thing. And, and it's very traditional uh, for guys that like the traditional points. You know, it's a very traditional uh, looking gear as well. Uh, and that's one of the, the neat things about about Europe is that there are some, there's the traditional, the main game species, and then there's some ones thrown in there here and there that are, that are pretty unique. Well, on, on Finland. So my dad and I are booked, obviously went through you on this one, but we're booked to go next fall, um, in October. And that was just, as we were talking and working through and setting up this trip, it was, everything was so unique about it, but so detailed on their side that it was a no brainer. Once we started looking at it to, to book it and go. It's just so, it's so unique and everything seems, and I've never been to Finland before. Right. So I, I enjoy yeah. traveling and experiencing different countries and cultures. So this was like a ultimate win-win on this trip. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and in Europe, you know, we have pretty liberal seasons as well. So for example, that, that white tail is, is hunted from September 1st to February 15th. Oh, wow. Um, and so it's, that's, that's kind of a luxury, uh, that you think, oh, maybe I can't make it to Europe because it'll conflict with my, you know, my few weeks of prime hunting in the States or whatnot. Uh, well, that's not to worry because the, <laughs> the seasons are, are so long by us uh, that, that it's, that, that excuse doesn't work. There's right. always a spot to go. <laughs> There's always a time to go. <laughs> no, no doubt. One we haven't, one we haven't talked about too that I've hunted is France. So I actually, yeah. I actually had uh, a great time hunting in France for um, chamois, and that was my first. The chartreuse and yep, vectors, the chart- yeah. Yep, chartreuse and vectors. And so when I flew, we flew into south of France, into Lyon, and all I remember is I was, I was looking around for my gun, right? Like I'm trying to find somebody in an office that can tell me where the special gun pickup is. And they're, they look yeah. at me and they're like, no, it's – so all the bags are sitting over there and I turn and look and my gun's just like shoved in a corner over there next to the exit door. And I walk over and I grab it and I, I'm looking around and I'm like, where, who do I talk to? Like, no, go, go. I'm like, I, I, I got it. I'm not, what am I doing? I'm going to get it. I'm going to get tackled as I go to get out this door. And nobody wanted to look yeah. at my gun. They just pushed me out of there as quick as I could. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, okay. That was a lot easier than I was expecting. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it, it can be kind of scary, but there, they're pretty easy with it. France is, is actually has the most, I mean, it's got a big population, but it also has the most hunters. I think it's about 1.5 million, uh, hunt in, in France. So hunting in France is, is certainly a, a go-to one. I mean, you have, like you said, the Chartreuse and Vercours Chamois there in the East, uh, near Chernobyl, uh, Grenoble, you have, uh, the Alpine, um, the Alpine Chamois as well. Uh, just in the next range over, you've got the Pyrenees Chamois. Mm-hmm. I do quite a, quite a few, maybe one guy a year that does all four in one, in one go, um, from the Pyrenees chamois. And then those other three, uh, there's also another chamois population up, up North, uh, near the border of Germany. Um, that is the fair chamois. This is also, uh, that's also a subspecies, right? You know, depending on who recognizes it or whatnot. Um, uh, but, but France is a fantastic place. And from the price you, you have a hard time hunting, that far west at that price um you know for example a red stag hunt in the mountains and in the pyrenees we have for for five thousand dollars you know everything included essentially so that's that's really a neat place whether you fly into the south of france like you did uh, or even right out of right out of paris uh, we work with a few outfitters that have uh, free range areas or kind of elaborate estate areas uh 45 minutes from from the hustle and bustle of Paris. Um, and that's a common one that, that people will do, um, two days, three days is enough to get the job done. I mean, to do a roe deer hunt just near Paris is, well, that's as, that's as cool to go and do as to go to any Eiffel tower or anything like that. So <laughs> no doubt. And a great, and a great one. If you're, if you're traveling with your wife or a significant other, right. So they can stay in, oh, in yeah. Paris, you can go hunt for a couple of days and then, then meet up and see yeah. the sites together. Oh yeah. And, and, and even that, you know, anywhere in Europe that to tag along the sites, you know, you don't have to leave them in the big city. It, sometimes it's logistically nice and it, it works out other, otherwise, I mean, the hotels and the accommodations that we're all using is, is, is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a question of who enjoyed it more. Did your wife enjoy the relaxation with the spa and the massage and everything? Or did you, 
enjoy hunting in the rain, right? Yep. <laughs> so exactly. some days, some days she has, she has more fun than, than you. So no, it's, it's a very, it's a very neat thing to do. It, it can, it can even let your wife pick where you're going hunting. In the, right? <laughs> one of the, one of the keys that, that I want to touch on again, that you just, you just mentioned, right? So in, in France, you can go red stag hunting, um, for $5,000, right? Is what you just, yeah. what you just said right now. So compare that yeah. to, um, elk hunting out West, right. On a tag you drew or, or anything like that. So start doing the cost comparison. Yeah. You're going to have to fly over, right? Well, I mean, you can fly yeah. over for a thousand dollars. You fly in the front of the front of the plane. It's going to be a couple thousand dollars. Add that on, and generally, it's still even a a a, a good deal compared to what elk hunting is now. Like that's yeah, one of the, one of the it, things it I always can be, yeah. one of the things I stress on Europe is you can you can go now if you're if you're ibex hunting right. Like they've got the high golds that are super right, or you can just go with an average, and the average price on ibex is pretty good if you're looking for a legit mountain hunt. Right. I've hunted all, I've oh, yeah. been fortunate and hunted all four species in Spain and had some of the toughest days on the mountain over there. Now yeah. I didn't have to spend the night on the mountain. I got to come down and enjoy a great meal and have a, have a glass or two or wine at night. So that's always nice. But again, that, that time in the mountain, it's, you can make it as tough or as easy as you want to in a lot of the areas. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that, that is certainly, certainly true. And you know, that red stag is the easiest combined or compared to the elk and, um, I mean, there's, there's really a lot of these mountains where you, you'd be mistaken for thinking you were in out West, mm -hmm. uh, you, you'd snap out of it as soon as you, you came out of the area and you had a couple glasses of wine in a, in a castle or something, um, you know, or even just a, a normal three-star hotel, which, which an outfitter over here might be, you know, he said, Hey, it's, it's only three stars. Is that okay? Oh yeah. We're, we're easy going. We're, we're happy. We're not in a tent. And well, hell, they get there and they think, well, I've never even stayed in a place this nice. <laughs> so it's, uh, no, that is really the, the benefit. And for the guys that, that want to stay up on the mountain, just let me know. Uh, because we do a lot of those hunts where, where you can make it, like you said, you can make it a little bit harder on yourself by staying up, you know, staying up in the mountain, whether it's in a tent or, or in one of these mountain chalets or huts, um, uh, the hunter cabins. I, I do an Alpine Ibex hunt here in Austria where, uh, it's in December and it's, it's pretty serious hunt. I mean, you're going to head up with snowshoes or skis and you're going to stay in a little hut up on the top of the mountain. So, uh, there's, there's really something for, for everybody. Um, and I, I do get a lot of folks that are, they're hesitant for, for a number of reasons. And, you know, once you explain it to them and then let them know the options, it's, it can be, a, can be a no brainer. Absolutely. It's one of those where dad and I went once and it was the overall trip, right? The whole, the whole experience. It was the culture, the history behind it. The hunting was phenomenal. Um, the guides and outfitters were great. Um, food, like the, the whole culture thing, right? It's just, it's, it's so different than, than going out West to hunt, which I love going out West. Don't get me wrong there, but there's just so much in a, in a European hunting experience that when it's set up correctly can, can just be awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And the, the variety of game as well is, is something that's, that's very interesting, you know? Yep. Yep. And you can, and combine a few of them on the same trip or, um, like if you wanted to bounce to two countries, right. It's, it's, I mean, I, I compare it to, it's like traveling from one state to another here in the, in the U S right. It's very easy to, to say I'm gonna hunt two countries on the same trip. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's a few, there's a few, benefits like that i mean that the multiple species thing uh, one of the biggest and most interesting one is is the trophy fee system um where you know if you're not successful then then what's your address because i'll send you money back type thing um and that that's very unique uh to to europe um and and as well some other places as well but unique to compare to the the u.s yeah and one other thing that we hadn't talked on yet that is probably, oh, I know it's overlooked, right? Is the upland and the waterfall hunting that you can do in Europe as well. Like you mentioned the red leg partridge in Spain, um, but also about the capercule, right? Like explain the capercule and the, and the grouse and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the bird hunting is, is fantastic from the diversity of the, the species and whatnot. Um, I would say the upland hunting is, is very, 
is very well known here. I mean, there's a big tradition with it. A lot of a lot of what people do around the world comes from this traditions here, you know, the game parades and things like that. Uh, like I said, in, in Spain, you've got the red-legged partridge, you know, September to May every year, which is one of the biggest gatherings for, you know, for, for shooting teams and groups. Um, England and, and Scotland, you've got, you've got upland opportunities. Uh, I was maybe England, the most famous of that, um, the kind of the big drives for partridge and pheasant and whatnot. Um, but then you, you can get that same experience. You can do it here in, in Hungary um, for the same experience, same quality birds, same flying birds, um, and, and save you quite a bit of money. Um, in, in Sweden and Austria, um, those are very well-known ones for the Capricali and the, the black grouse. Um, and th- they're, they're hunted a little bit different in, in the Scandinavian countries, the Capricali and the black grouse are, are hunted in the fall. Um, the traditional hunt in Austria is actually in May. Um, and this is, this is unique in Europe. Uh, and it's kind of a, an exemption in the laws of Europe, uh, that the Austrians are able to continue their traditional hunt. Um, and, and that, that Capricali is a hunt that, I say it's like a turkey hunt, uh, like a proactive turkey hunt, like a spot and stock turkey hunt. Okay. <laughs> and uh, uh, they have a, they make their mating call, and it's a it's a four four series call, and and on the on the third thing, it you've got you've got about two steps, um, you that you can move closer to them, um, where they're essentially deaf and blind. Really. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's very very unique um and and challenging as you might might expect and the the permits are very very rare um they require you know they require a a thorough count of how many you have in the area before you get issued a permit um but it that's a very very neat one it's kind of on the edge of the forest in the old old growth forest um the the black grouse that's that's kind of in that mixed as the alpine area starts uh where the the trees start to spread out there they have uh they do their dance and their call um up up on the the last remaining snow patches uh there you hunt them spot and stock or you can set up a blind and and be there for the whole thing i mean there's you know, there's opportunities for eight males to just go up there and and dance and go crazy and and that's a really neat hunt um in sweden in sweden and in the scandinavian countries that's more spot and stock. They'll use the finished spits, especially hunting dog that, that will hold them and things like that. Or, uh, but, but both of those, I mean, those birds are, are very special birds here in Europe. Uh, and, and I mean, if, if you can swing it to, to experience both is, is well worth it. So it, it, it's funny. So I, I've got a, a podcast I did with, uh, Matt Gindorf, um, who, you know, very well, obviously yeah, for being, yeah. on, being on team. Um, Matt's helped me with all, all of my, um, slams that I've set up over the last couple of years here. So we're working on, on what will be my last upland slam to kind of put a, a, a bow on, on this period that I did with, the North American upland, North American waterfall, um, South American waterfall and then, um, the New Zealand wing shooting slam. Right. So I've got, I've got one more slam that I, that I've wanted to do. And then all of a sudden we're going to transition. Um, it's not that I'm going to be done waterfall hunting or upland hunting just cause I love it so much, but we're going to turn it in because there's some special projects, um, that I want to highlight, um, cultures, histories, species, and so forth. And what you just listed is one that I've got on my short list to do, right? Like I want to go and do the spring hunt in Austria and then go yeah. to Sweden in the fall and, and be able to capture that on film and explain it. Cause everything you just explained, right. You've, I've never seen it on film before ever, never. Yeah. Not, not one time documented oh, yeah. the history behind it, how, how you hunt it, all that stuff. And that th- those are the type of projects after I get done with this one last slam that I'm going to transition into and, and just highlight the special, the special ones just like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the, the biggest grouse over here is that Capricelli and, and it's a, that's a neat, neat hunt and an even cooler, cooler bird. I mean, for the European hunter, it's a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, most, the majority, the vast majority will never get the opportunity to, and it's, it's quite a privilege to, to hunt that one. Um, and then, you know, the waterfowl there, you have a few, uh, few different stuff. A lot of the, 
the neat ones are up in the the Baltic areas, uh, Finland, Sweden, Estonia, uh, where you have you have the sea ducks and, and the geese, and there's a big, big, big variety um, hunting from these archipelagos, um, this small rock islands off the coast of Finland is is a unique hunt, um, fairly high volume, very high volume, um, and yeah, same thing back. Back, uh, back in a nice place to stay at at, at night, which is always um, nice. Oh yeah, no, it, a, a lot of guys are. Oh, I don't need that. I got a tent. That that works. And then they come over here and they say, "Oh well, that that, that wasn't that bad to to take a shower." Yeah, that, that also <laughs> works very well to have a hot meal at night too. <laughs> yeah, we, we could all be and, tough, right? I've spent a lot of days in tents. Oh, yeah. I'm going to spend a lot more days in tents, but I in. I, I enjoy coming oh, yeah. back to somewhere that's nice, warm, and cozy. Oh yeah, no, and there's there's always a tent that we can pitch outside for you if, if you need it. <laughs> Go. That, another another fun one is uh, that's uh, driven driven ducks in in Hungary. There's a few places that do it, but but I have the most experience over here in Hungary uh, on a driven duck hunt, and for me that's one of my one of my favorite ones. Um, mallards. And you know, high, you know how the, the ducks fly, but yep. but there you're you know standing in in rows. There's a variety of cover in front of you. So some areas they go high, some areas they come low, and that that's quite a neat neat hunt as well. Um, but the yeah, the wing shooting is is there's there's plenty of it, and for a lot of people, that's their main um, that's their main hunt that they do. Um, you know, and it, be involved in this this driven hunts like that. And all those ones you just mentioned, like I, I look at it like are great ones that I wanna I wanna go and experience, right? Because there's no there's been no footage of any of that stuff to explain um, the story, the history behind it. And I just I, I, yeah. I don't know what it is. I love being to go in there and be the first one to be able to highlight something like that and just be unique and different, but tell a cool story at the same time. Oh yeah, no, there's a lot a lot of that. I mean, that a lot of the videos and stuff over here, it's it's old, old stuff. There's a lot of VHSs that, that show some stuff, but mm-hmm. nothing that, yeah, nothing that, that is available for the youth or, or people who aren't connected with hunting to learn about it and, and to maybe be drawn into it. Um, so there's definitely a, yeah, definitely a place to be a pioneer on some of that stuff over here. And the, the last one I wanted to cover with you and, and Roger, you do a great, great job of this. And for anybody listening, you got to head to worldwidetrophyadventures.com is, Roger is a master at putting together WTA exclusive hunts and trips and also securing, um, I'll just say securing the best areas for certain species over there to where, where we get, um, all the tags in the, in the best areas and so forth for, for our client base. Um, so I'm gonna let Roger talk about this real quick, but if, if you're interested in, in hunting in Europe or just learning more about what certain trips may be like head to worldwidetrophyadventures.com, check those out. Um, again, Roger does great work. Like, and I don't think any, maybe people will understand when Roger put that, um, do it yourself road deer hunt together, right? And that has never been done and offered to, um, American hunters before. That that's that just it hasn't been done yet to have that unique experience and be able to go over there and hunt Europe by yourself. Um, so things like that are so cool. Um, anyway, Roger, I took some of your glory there when I when I said that. But what are some other exclusive WTA ones that you've got put together? Yeah, there's that. Well, that is that's one of the neat ones. Um, the in Croatia um, for brown bear, I've got you know one of the best best areas there. Um, and I'm going to raise my hand because I'm, I'm already set to go yeah. to that one next spring as well. Yeah. 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 The, the best, best prices, best areas. Um, what, what I really enjoy is to, to kind of offer that the European hunt, um, that European hunters have been doing to offer those to, to people in the States. Um, sometimes that looks like, uh, that comes across better in, in prices or, you know, better prices. Um, other times it could be just simply more, more authentic. Uh, you got to wince a little more and to understand what they're saying maybe. Uh, but that, that makes the experience all that more, more enjoyable. Um, uh, other ones are, are Austria, uh, in, in my backyard here, I have a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of the best areas and, and access to, you know, for Alpine Ibex, Chamois, the Capricale, uh, we always will be able to get you a tag, uh, where a lot of people, 
fumble or maybe have one a year and they they raise the price like crazy so mm-hmm. uh we have really a lot of of benefits um and that's one of my biggest joys is to bring yeah to bring those those experiences that that a european looks at and says hey i want to do that to send that over to some you know to my brothers in america <laughs> uh and that, yeah those those three are are some of the big ones uh certainly no, those are great. So anyway, as you guys can tell, Roger definitely has me talked into hunting in Europe. So I've got quite a quite a few trips. I look forward to getting over there this fall and then next spring and then the fall after that and being able to share um, my experiences with everybody too. It always helps to, everybody likes to see it on video, right? What, is it, what does it actually look like? Not just hearing it and seeing it in pictures. So I, I love that part of my job and what I get to do. So Roger, again, thanks for, thanks for setting me up in those areas because I know that they're the best that there are. Oh yeah. No worries. Well, perfect. Thank you for your time today. And I I guess I didn't even realize when I set this up for you, it's actually nighttime over there. So you probably already had dinner. That's No, it's the middle, middle of my work day. That's true. Cause you probably work late with all the, with the U S clients, don't you? Oh yeah. 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 Hang out, hang out late. And, uh, and then throughout the day I, I get to work with the, the European clients, European hunters headed over to North America work with the outfitters here and then usually get up for a hike and then, and then, uh, yeah, sit, sit down for, for work proper at four o'clock and, <laughs> and hang out till, till late. <laughs> there you go. So you'll appreciate this after we get off. I've got to go bring my daughter to uh, basketball practice. So I've got three teams that I coach and we're heading into there a tour, heading into a tournament this weekend. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. I got, I got a basketball hoop on the side of my house here in Austria and everybody looks at me funny. Yeah, it's not not very common. So Roger sent me a picture of this, and I, and so I'm, when we when we post this podcast, I'm going to have Julie on my team post that picture too. <laughs> okay, just dial it. That'll be perfect. Well, Roger, thanks for your time today. Yep. God bless. Bye bye. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five star review on Apple Podcasts, as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey.